0: As part of our worship, we confess the Apostles' Creed. Every week, as we approach the Lord's table, we confess the Apostles' Creed. Although not written by the Apostles, those who were with Jesus during his ministry, the Creed is faithful to their teaching. The Creed derives from the teaching of the apostles' teaching that is recorded in and revealed through the scriptures, the Bible, God's word. In fact, this creed, the apostles' creed, contains the very heart of the Christian faith. It is, to borrow the title of C.S. Lewis's great book, Mere Christianity. And it begins with these words, I believe. In Latin, credo, I believe. The Apostles' Creed is about faith. It's about your faith, what you believe, the truth that you know, that you know in your head, the truth that you know, that you know in your heart, what you hold onto, what you cling to if, if and when you have nothing else, would guide you what you order your life by. But the faith that you have, the faith that you confess is not just yours. It is yours, but it's not just yours. It's the faith of the church. It's the faith of the people of God, those who confess faith now with you here in this room, all over the city and all over the world as well as those who have gone on before us and those who will come after us. I believe in God. The object of the faith that we confess is God, the one true God, for God is one, singular. The Lord declares this in our Old Testament reading from Isaiah, besides me there is No God. And this one God has revealed himself as triune, a trinity, three in one. Jesus Christ is God. The Son who became man, who was born of the Virgin Mary, who died on the cross, who rose again on the third day, is God. The Father is God. The one who created all things, who sent the Son. Is God. The Holy Spirit. Is God. The one sent by the Father and the Son upon the church, whose presence we experience in our lives, who is with us right now, is God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Each one is 100% God. Each is holy God, and 100% of God is in each. The whole of God is in each. It's a mind-bending mystery, a seemingly mathematical impossibility. One in which any analogy that is used, any illustration that is attempted, whether it's an apple or water or light or human conscious falls short. Now, don't get me wrong, it, 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 it might be helpful, it is somewhat helpful to say that Jesus is like the seed of an apple and the Father is like the flesh of the apple and the Spirit is like the skin of the apple, one apple, three parts. That, that's helpful. But the fact is you do lose something of the majesty and the glory of God when you say God's like an apple. Well, the historic language of the church is that God is one substance. God is one being in three persons. Now, the challenge of this language, one being, three persons, is the word person, we understand person as an individual. We understand person as distinct from other individuals, separate from other individuals. We're, we are human. We share a common humanity, but, but you and I are our own. We're distinct. We're, we're separate. Now, if you take this understanding of person, when you think of God, when you contemplate God, then you have three gods. Separate, individual. But God is one. One. Now, historically, person was meant to explain a distinction of existence, a mode of being within God as he has revealed himself. But when speaking of the Trinity, language is stretched, stretched to make sense of the God who has spoken to us, stretched to make sense of the God who has come to us, revealed himself to us, stretched to describe a mystery, a mathematical impossibility, and you might be feeling a little stretched right now. But this is the true God who is the object of the Christian faith, the one revealed in the scriptures, witnessed to by the apostles, the one confessed and believed in the creed. He is one. He is one. And he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is God. Whenever we speak of God, whenever we sing of God, whenever we pray to God, whenever we confess God, we mean Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, the creed begins confessing faith in the Father. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. God is Father. Now, this is not a description, it's not a role, it's not a function, it's not an analogy. This is who God is. This is who God is in his very being. He is Father eternally, perfectly. And he did not just become father when Christ was born, he was father before the Son entered creation. He was father before the Son took on flesh, was born to Mary and named Jesus. He did not just become a father then. there was never a time when he was not father. There will never be a time when he will cease being father. That is who he is in his being eternally. For it describes a relationship, it describes an eternal relationship, a relationship that has always been, a relationship that always will be within the very life of the Trinity, within the inner life of God. And through this relationship, we're given a glimpse into that inner life. He is eternal Father of the eternal Son. Now, the father has only one begotten son, only one. But he is the father of the human race by creation. For the father created all things out of nothing. He is the maker of heaven and earth. He is our maker. He created our first parents. He formed them out of the very dust of the ground. He breathed life into their nostrils He created them and He provided for them. He provided food in the garden. He provided a home in the garden. He provided a calling to work the garden. He walked with them in the garden. But because of sin, the relationship changed. Because they disobeyed God, the relationship changed. Because they desired to follow their own will rather than God's, the relationship changed. They were cast out of the garden. They were separated from God. They were alienated. They no longer walked with God. They became enemies. And that is the state of every person who has ever been born ever since. That's your state and mine. Sin, following your own will, following your own way, following your own desires rather than God's is sin. And that alienates you from God. It casts you from his presence. Your sin creates a wall between you and God, an impenetrable wall of separation, one in which there's no way around. A wall that you can't climb over, a wall that you can't dig under. And this this wall, this, this barrier keeps you from ever entering God's presence. And it makes you an enemy an enemy destined for death and hell. But here again, here again, the good news from our assurance of pardon, found in Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. The father, the eternal father, sent the eternal son. The gospel of John puts it this way, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Mary gave birth to a son. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who suffered for you. Jesus Christ, who was separated from God for you, who died upon the cross for you, who was buried for you, who rose from the dead for you, to redeem you and to reconcile you which means this, which means this. His death and resurrection conquers your sin. His death and resurrection overcomes your sin, thereby destroying that wall of separation built by your sin. Jesus tears it down, tears it to the ground. Jesus tears the wall down, opening to you the way to God, opening to you fellowship with God. Through Jesus, through the Son, you're no longer alienated. You're no longer an enemy. You're no longer separated from this wall, with this wall. You are a child. By faith, a child. You're a beloved son. You're a beloved daughter of the living God. That is your identity. That's who you are. If if you lost everything you have, if you lost everything that you hold, you would still have that. You would still be that. It can't be taken away from you. It cannot be stripped from you. You have a heavenly father. You are a child of the father, the eternal father. Now it's different than Jesus. Jesus is the only begotten. He is a son by nature. You are adopted. Now, there are those who have struggled with and even rejected claiming God as father. And maybe, maybe that's you. For some, it has to do with rejecting the idea of and the language that God is male. That's a good idea to reject. God is not male. Now, as far as the language of Father, God revealed it. God told us that is his name. That's who he is. He is Father, we should not reject what he's revealed. Now, for others, the struggle with or rejection of Father has to do with life experiences. Their, Their own fathers, earthly fathers, wounded them, abandoned them, abused them, failed them. That Father is not the heavenly Father. Even if you were blessed with a good earthly father, that father is not the heavenly father, for even good fathers, faithful fathers, struggle with sin, fail you, wound you, your heavenly father is perfect, holy, true father. What what fatherhood is meant to be. That this this father, the father, Out of love for you sent the Son. The Father, out of love for you, adopted you. And in your adoption, He gives you a new identity as a child. And in your adoption, He gives you His name. He places His name upon you in your baptism, seals you with His name in your baptism. And whether you were baptized as a baby or a teen or an adult, you were baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And given this name, He claims you. You are His beloved. Just like Jesus. Which means Jesus is not only your Savior, He's not only your Lord, but He's your brother. He's your elder brother and co-heir because as a child, you are an heir. You are promised to inherit the blessings of your father. You're promised to inherit the riches of your father. You are promised to inherit all from your father, namely this resurrected life, eternal life. You are promised to inherit life without suffering, life without illness, life without pain, without loss, without tears, without death. You are promised life of eternal joy, life with your Father in perfect fellowship with your Father and all the people of God. And you're promised it forever. Your Father has your future planned your future provided for, your future ready. But He also has your present. Your Father will provide for you today and every day. He will provide what you need, your daily bread for your body and for your soul. And He is able, able to do it, able because He is almighty. He is able and he is willing, willing because he is your father, your heavenly father, your faithful father. And whatever trials, whatever tribulations, whatever adversity, whatever evil may come upon you, your father is able to work it for good, for your good. He is able, able because he is almighty. And he is willing. Willing because he is your father. Your heavenly father. Your faithful father. Who will never leave you nor forsake you. And listen, listen again with joy at what John exclaims in our New Testament reading. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. What love the Father has given you. You're his child. His child adopted through the Son. Filled with the Spirit by whom you're able to cry out, Abba, Father, in faith, by the Spirit, you know. You know, you know the Father, your Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi.